We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are live. It is the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Doster. I am joined here tonight by the former Iowa State head coach, Steve Prohm, and by Wake Forest legend, Randolph Childress. We are going to get into this uh, Illinois-Notre Dame game that is just ending right now in a little bit. But before we do, I want to talk to you guys about Iowa and Virginia in what we thought was going to be a blowout and ended up being a barn burner. Uh, first and foremost, though, we got Steve Prohm here. Big Washington football team fan. Are you doing all right over there? We're going to get this win. We're going to get this W. What's going on? Doing, doing good. We got no field goal kicker right now. So third and goal up eight should kick it to ice it, but we're going to go for it. But I think we're in good shape. So we, we move into the last wild card spot with a win tonight. Won our last three in a row. So Randolph must be a Cowboys fan, man. You already know it, man. You already know it. <laughs> when he sent that text message today, killing Washington, man, I said, man, I said, he must be a Cowboys fan, man. How you be from Washington and not be a Redskins fan? I, I know. I, I get, I get it all football. the time. It's neither one or the other. I, I was born into it. I had no choice. Man, <laughs> I can't believe it, man. So I think we're going to be able to get out of here. So we can talk hoops. All right, good, good. We're, we're going to survive, which is always a good thing. So let's talk about this Iowa uh, Virginia matchup that we had. Iowa ended up winning 75-74 on, believe it or not, a game-winning defensive play from the Iowa Hawkeyes, which is not necessarily something uh, that you are used to seeing. Never underestimate Iowa's ability to let anybody back into a game. I think that we, the three of us right now, if we went out there and played three on five, we might be able to hang 70 on the Iowa Hawkeyes. So uh, let's talk about them a little bit. Steve, give me your big takeaways from that game. Going on the road, 7-0, and getting a win um, in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Beating a program in a team like Virginia, what's your takeaways with this Iowa team? Well, Randolph would have had to get 60, 60, 65, <laughs> and we, we were going to get to 70. So, um, you know, with them losing so much from last year, you look at Wieskamp, you look at Frederick, you look at Garza, for them to get off to a 7-0 and start, this was their first true test, true road test at Virginia. Obviously, Tony Bennett, one of the elite coaches in college basketball. Uh, for them to be up big, lead control the game until the last minute and then be able to respond late Tucson uh with the with the you know kiss off the glass and then McCaffrey with the block at the end a big big win for them a huge one huge huge road win going forward yeah yeah I mean it's incredible that you kind of look at the numbers and you look at this program they lose all of the guys that you just mentioned and they are still right now According to Ken Palm, a top five offensive team in college basketball. It's not often that you see that, Randolph. You see a team lose that many pieces and come back and be just as good and just as effective. But who's like we talked about before, who saw Keegan Murray had his type of year? I mean, he's leading the country in scoring, and you could have came into this game thinking, all right, you know, they hadn't played anybody big, you know, anybody major. Then they go on a road tonight, and before he tweaked his ankle, I thought he was going for another 20-plus game. I mean, he hadn't had a game below 23 all year. So he's been consistent, and he was on his way tonight. He still finished with 18, but he was on his way to another 20-point performance tonight before he tweaked his ankle. Steve, what have you seen out of Keegan this season? I mean, you're familiar with that Iowa program. Were you expecting this kind of year out of him? I, I think everybody expected to see an improvement. He was on every single one of those, like, breakout player lists, whatever cliche you want to use. But did you did you expect to see, you know, hey, he's putting up numbers that are similar to Luca Garza's right now. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, 20, 26 points, nine rebounds. Uh, I don't know if anybody would have, would have thought that. But when you look at what he did in conference play, uh, obviously he was all freshman last year in the Big Ten. 
was the leading scorer and rebounder coming off the bench for Iowa. Uh, and with the amount of people that they lost and the production that they lost, he had great opportunities to step up. And when you have that opportunity, somebody's got to fill those voids. And obviously Keegan's done a great job. I think Patrick McCaffrey stepped into a big role this year. And then having Bohannon back, his experience, his leadership for a six year, he was huge tonight, you know, with 20 points, made threes. Uh, and then Fran does a terrific job. He's probably he one does. of the, you know, coaches that, you know, you know, you get on certain coaches and, you know, you praise certain coaches, but Fran's done a terrific job at Iowa. And, and really, you know, both state schools are off to a great, great start in that state, Iowa State as well. Joe got, Joe Tucson's play stepped up, played well for him. You know, taking that starting point guard role was was steady. You know, they did turn the ball over, you know, with Virginia's, you know, kind of forces you into turnover, trying to get in gaps. And that play he made at the end, you know, shielding this defender off, escape dribble, game winner, you know, double figures for the game. He had 10 for the game, but I thought his his contribution tonight was, you know, can't be underestimated. Yeah, he brings a different yeah. dynamic to that team. Yeah. You don't see from anybody else, a guy that you just know is going to be able to get to the rim anytime that he wants to. A lot of yes. the guys on that roster have been shooters. I mean, that's kind of what I was known yeah. for. They're going to put up a lot of threes. They're going to be dangerous when they get hot. They're probably not going to play all that much defense. And, you know, when when they have the guys and they're, they're rolling and Bohan is doing what he was doing tonight, they're really tough to guard. But how many guys on that team? It's just a completely different dynamic that he brings right. in that roster. Yeah, and the one thing, uh, you know, Tucson, when you when you look at him, they talked about it on TV tonight. We touched on a little bit. He got great toughness. You know, he's got great toughness to make that shot because it looked like they were running screen-to-screener action to get Bohan in the ball to make a play, you know, or to make a shot. He fell down, maybe trying to draw a foul and get a cheap one to go to the line. Tucson stayed under control. A lot of people would just jack a jump shot quick. You know, he jump-stopped, shot fake, got people up in the air, and then – you know, got a good uncontested shot off the glass. And then, like I said, Iowa came up with a big defensive stop. That's a huge win. I mean, Virginia, to go in there into Virginia, uh, Randolph knows this as a player and a coach. It's not easy to win up there. And to do that after after losing an 18-point lead maybe, you know, I was in and out of the game, but they led 14, 16, 18. And to lose it late and to come back, that, that almost makes you feel better about the win because it shows a little bit of character about your group. Yeah, they were actually up by 21 points. That's, uh, right. that's three touchdowns for uh, for for you Washington football team. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're in good shape. 23 to nine right now. We're good. <laughs> we're, we're good shape. Randolph, so. I want to ask you about Virginia because this is not the same caliber of Virginia teams that we've seen. No. Every team goes through uh, rebuilding season and re- rebuilding seasons and rebuilding years. I don't think Tony Bennett is immune to that, but this is definitely kind of a part of their down cycle, so to speak. They're not as I don't think they have the NBA talent that they've had in the past. Guys recently, they started out the program with, you know, three or four year guys, then they started recruiting, getting those, you know, those quote unquote NBA guys and guys have moved on and gone on to the league and gotten drafted and all, you know, great things. But you expect that, you know, we've always expected Virginia just to stay where they've been. They've been the best team in the conference the last five or so years. Like that's not even arguable, right? That's just flat out what it is. I think the biggest thing is I don't think they've been consistent, just like the first half to, to the second half. You know, which team will Virginia be? And I don't think they can count on the amount of shots. Tonight they were able to get Tane Murray from the bench to knock down some threes for those guys. But prior to that, I don't think they have guys consistently that can, you know, they can make shots. So Iowa, if it does not going to pressure you, you get to sit back and kind of wait and see, hey, who's going to help? Who's going to make shots on tonight? And tonight, second half, they made shots. They got a little better defensively. I don't think this team is as good as defensively as they need to be to be successful going forward. Yeah, that's my big thing with them, right? Yeah. You look at the teams that they've had in the past. You're talking about NBA caliber, big, athletic, physical wings right. that when you play that that pack line that can really close out hard, close out long, and make any open shot that you get going to be something that's contested. Dating all the way back to Joe Harris and Justin Anderson and Malcolm Brogdon. Like, these are big physical dudes that, have, that spent a long time playing in the NBA because of their size. And like all due respect to someone like a Reese Beekman or a Kihei Clark, it's just, it's a different level of player that's on that roster right now, as opposed to what they used to have. And you go back the team that made it to the title game, right? Uh, Ty Jerome playing in the NBA, Kyle guy playing in the NBA, Deandre Hunter playing in the NBA, Mamadi Diakite. I he was yes. on an NBA roster for a yes. while. I'm not sure what he's doing right now. Braxton Key, NBA athlete. I don't know if he's playing in the NBA right now, but he's playing professional basketball somewhere. 
And you compare that to what they have right now. I also think, and, and Steve, tell me if I'm wrong here. I think they, some of the recruiting classes that they have just haven't really panned out the way that we had hoped. Like Casey Morsell was a guy that I had pretty high expectations for, and he just didn't kind of end up being the guy that we thought he was going to end up uh, being with that team. I think Justin McCoy is another guy that kind of falls into that category. And it doesn't help when a guy like Trey Murphy has such a great season and is such a great transfer addition, yeah. he ends up leaving school a year early. Yeah, I think people that recruited Trey Murphy and followed him at Rice and knew when he got to Virginia, I think they knew he was a pro. Uh, but it's with some of these guys, and, you know, you're fortunate to have them. Uh, but when they leave quick, it, it can hurt you a little bit as well. It's great for them. It's great for your program. Uh, but it can obviously hurt you the following year. But Trey Murphy was a, a super talent. But you look, I was just pulling up the box score. You know, when do you shoot almost 55% from the field against Virginia, over 50 from three? Uh, I mean, I think Iowa was 10 for 21. Bohan in the best three-point shooter, seven for 12. Uh, I mean, Virginia is known for, like Randolph and you touched on, is just being really, really hard-nosed, tough to score on right. and physical in their half-court defense. We used to say the, the first team of 50, they play at that pace. I just don't think they could – if the game gets into the 70s, they're going to have a tough time. I mean, you know, that's all a stat today, and it's been that way. Their, their pace of play has always been in a, the lower – third of, of, of NCAA and you know usually their transition is off of defense turnovers fast break other than that they're going to make you guard they're not scoring it enough and they're in transition so much that that's the problem is getting them in trouble they're just missing shots they're taking jump shots they're missing them long rebounds they're just on their heels they're not able to set their deep because they can't score I mean they had Huff that could space the floor last year they had Hauser so they lost other pieces to the team this is a completely new team. I mean, Beekman was in a limited role last year. Kehi Clark is the only guy on this roster that has any level of experience for the level of competition that they're going to be playing. And these other guys are going to figure it out. I think they'll get better. They'll defend. They'll win games when they're making shots because Tony's going to make sure to defend. If you don't defend, you're not playing. But it could be by committee. You know, tonight there could be another guy coming off the bench. We need, we need to see more. Franklin has to give him something consistent. I think he's somebody that they're expected to come in you know, we thought he was going to fit and be that consistent perimeter threat. And I think he had three points tonight. So they're going to have to get something more consistent out of him if they want to take a step. Because when conference play starts, they're going to struggle because more teams, I think, is going to zone these guys like Iowa did tonight. Yeah. Uh, when you don't have the, the thing about them last year is when they had all those shoots, I think Jay Huff shot 40 something percent, Sam right. Howell 40 something percent, Trey Murphy shot 40 something percent. You put all these great shooters around someone like Kihei who can kind of, Yes. find his way into the paint and get the ball out. You can't you can't zone a team that has that that level of shooters, especially with guys that are that size. So You guys would think, think I'm crazy. You think I'm crazy, but I'm, I'm telling you, just go back and look this up. With that roster they had last year, they actually posted up K.E. Clark last year. Yes. He was their best post-up player. And you would look at it and laugh. Like, I went to the game telling our point guards, like, hey, if he posts you up, you got to come out. Like, are you kidding me? And he went to the post. It was like, and one, like, another bucket. I'm like, whoa, like, like. Like, guys, like, back up. Like, you got – we had to front him in the post with all the shooters that they had. And and obviously, they don't have that perimeter ability around them this year. Yeah, I, I do think about Tony – one thing about Tony's teams, though, they're going to get better. They're going to go. There's been a lot of times that in the non-conference – and I don't remember what season, but I know a couple seasons ago in the non-conference, everybody kind of had their doubts on Virginia a little bit and questions. And then come ACC time, man, he rallied the troops – and they had a great run. And, and obviously, they may not have some of those guys that we touched on, but I know they'll get better throughout the year. Yeah, and the good thing is that the ACC is not very good this year once you get past uh, no. the top. So there's, uh, there's every possibility they'll find a way to be able to make it happen. And the thing you got to remember, some new pieces, it's not always easy to pick up that, that pack line the way that uh, Tony wants it to play. Speaking of getting better, um, I do want to circle back to Keegan Murray a little bit because I, I'm not – I'm not sure people fully understand just how good he's been so far this season. And there was a stat that they showed um, on the broadcast today. Uh, he, he entered today averaging 25.7 points per game, right? Last year, Luca Garza was at 24 points per game. He uh, was averaging 8.8 .8 points per game. Last year, Luca Garza, or, I'm sorry, rebounds per game. Last year, Luca averaged 9.8 boards per game. Their shooting percentages are similar. They're, uh, he's got better defensive numbers than Luca Garza had. We thought that Luca was like the hands down clear cut national player of the year. 
And all of a sudden, this kid's coming in and doing the exact same thing he was doing before. Is it just a sit? Was, was Luca Garza a system player? Is that all it was? Was he just fitting in for Ann McCaffrey's system? What's going on here, man? What have you, Randolph, what have you seen out of Keegan this year that's been so impressive? He's just done it. I was really concerned tonight. You know, just one thing about early this year when you're playing and you got, you know, we, we're watching these guys and these guys get these numbers early on. The first thing you want to look at, you want to say, hey, you know what? They hadn't really played anybody, but he's been incredibly consistent. I mean, tonight is his lowest output on the season. And like I said, if he didn't tweak his ankle, you know, I think he would have went for 20 plus again tonight. I mean, he had nothing lower. He's, he's been between 23 and 29 points every game this year. And he's just been incredibly consistent doing it in every way. So I, I've been impressed with that. I, I didn't see this coming. I thought he'd take a step, maybe 15 to 18 points. I didn't see the jump to, to 25 a game. I just didn't see it. I, he's, I, I don't know how he's going to slow down. He's doing it in so many different ways. I don't think it'll slow down once the conference play starts. Yeah, uh, Steve, you've you've coached against him probably uh, as much or as uh, against them as many times as uh, most coaches have. Um, what what is it about him that makes him so difficult to guard? And, and if you're going to try to slow him down, what do you what are you trying to do? Well, you look at his numbers. I mean, as we're talking about offense, we're talking about scoring. And, I mean, right. from seven points to twenty five. You really break his numbers down. He had five rebounds last year, and he's averaging almost ten rebounds a game. He's getting the free throw line six times a game. He's got 15 blocks on the season and six. He's got great activity. He can score at different ways, different levels from different spots on the floor. Uh, and obviously we've talked about it as well. Iowa's always been, a, you know, they've been an offensive team. I mean, they've been a team that over yeah. years have always been able to put points on the board. And, you know, if they're going to play to where they're averaging 75, 80, low 80s, then you're going to have to have guys like himself, Patrick McCaffrey, Bo Hannon, I think they've got three or four guys averaging in that double figures. And, you know, I don't know if he'll maintain 25 points a game because that's a lot, um, you know, but he's, he's done a phenomenal job. And, and I, and, you know, when you do your research on him and you, and you look at, he's an Iowa guy, you know, his dad played there, his brother's there with him. I think that means a lot where you, in the summer, he knows he's got a role that he's got to fill the following year. He's going to put that time because he don't want to let people down in that program that his father played with. I think when you're, when you're, when you've got family and you're part of that tradition, it means a lot. All right. So let's talk about some of the most improved players in college basketball here. Dagan has uh, set up a graphic for us. We're going to look at five of them right now. Justin Bean at Utah state, he's averaging 24 points and 13 boards, two and a half assists shooting 56% from three last year. He averaged 11 points, eight boards and shot 24% from three Keegan Murray. Of course, we have LJ Cryer who went from averaging just three points off the bench Uh, for a team where he was playing behind three pros to averaging 14 points a game for Baylor this season. We have Johnny Davis at Wisconsin, who I know you guys like, and Keon Ellis, who has been a star for Alabama this year and looks like a guy that might be able to sneak his way uh, into the first round of the NBA draft if all goes well. Randolph, I know you love Johnny Davis. Talk to me about this. I do. I love his size. I love his athleticism. I mean, I I think he's, he's, you know, another one of those guys. I thought he was going to be a good player. I didn't see this. I, I don't think it's going to slow down for him all year. I think he's going to creep up. We talked about this before. I think by the end of the season with his physical traits, I mean, he has really long arms, his wingspan, he's going to test off the charts. I think he'll be a, a first-round draft pick coming into the year. I, I think his numbers are sustained during the year. I mean, Wisconsin plays a you know a slower style of basketball, but I think his, he, he's a, he's the guy for them now. I think he's stepping up, and, and I, I just love physically what he does. He's, he's a willing defender. He's competing. And with his size and athleticism, again, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to elevate that team into the, the upper half of the conference. So I, I said this the other day, and I had Wisconsin fans very upset because they didn't understand the point that I was trying to make. When was the last <laughs> time that Wisconsin had a dude like this, a guy right. that was a big, right. powerful, athletic right. wing that can yep. take the game over, not just offensively and scoring the ball, that can be on the defensive end as well, that can get to the glass. I mean, he – I watched that entire game against uh, Houston in the – I don't even know what tournament. They, I can't remember what tournament they were playing in or where it was. But one Maui, of those – Maui. Was it, it was, oh, it was, the, it was the Maui, Maui. in Vegas. Maui it was in Vegas. Vegas. It was Maui in Vegas. Vegas. Maui in Vegas. <laughs> um, so they, they had – he was there, and he, he had like 30 against Houston. But was the most impressive thing to me was 
he made every big play for them down the stretch, right. whether it was elevating and getting a rebound in traffic, whether it was walling up and, and, uh, and, and, you know, locking up Marcus Sasser for a possession, knocking down a big jumper at one end like that, that dude can do it all. I, I loved what I saw from him. And Steve, I, I don't know if you've, I'm putting you on the spot with this one, but like, has, when was the last time Wisconsin had a dude that could do all of the things that this guy could be? Is it Sam Decker, Devin Harris, Alondo Tucker? I, I, I mean, I don't, honestly don't even know. Yeah, you know, I, I can't give you that name, but just knowing Johnny just a little bit from following him in high school a little bit and, and seeing his his transition into college at Wisconsin, he fits them. You know what I mean? Just the, the toughness he brings, the grit he brings. And like you touched on, when you do it against Houston and what Samson has made that program and you do it with toughness and, and grit and being able to make big plays, uh, that says a lot about Johnny. And, and obviously where he's headed. And, you know, we'll see him against Georgia Tech, uh, I think, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday night this week in the challenge. But, uh, you know, those are some good players you named. You know, Sam Decker, uh, Devin Harris, you know, those guys are terrific. But Johnny's – and he's just a sophomore. And you right. look at his numbers, I mean, uh, you know, seven points last year to – you know, he's averaging 20 and six right now. But he fills all the stat sheets. You know, he's got a couple assists, a couple steals – six rebounds and when you're getting six rebounds a game from that kind of big guard slot those are big big numbers yeah he's and let's not forget he also did that against another you know tough team and, and, and a tough coach in, in buzz williams he did it to a&m he had mm-hmm. 21 against a&m so you know with those coaches and they're two defensive minded coaches he combined for 50 51 points and that's that's not easy to do no matter who you are yeah the i i knew that we needed um we needed to uh he also was really good at Saint, uh, against St. Mary's and I knew that we needed to get Maui back into the Maui gym when the final of that game or that tournament which is supposed to be like the, the biggest tournament of feast week was right. uh, played in the empty gym in Las Vegas between Wisconsin and St. Mary's in a game that was in the 50s like that is that's not what we need <laughs> for the Maui Invitational man we need that we need that thing to be elite um all right we got five more names that I want to bring up here uh, we could talk to you guys a little bit about Wendell Moore at Duke um, is, I mean, he's having a, a fantastic season, um, averaging 18.6 boards and five assists. Not many guys can do that. He's making threes this year too. Javon Freeman Liberty at DePaul. He's averaging, how about this? 25 points, nine boards and five assists. Not many people can do that at any level of basketball. Uh, it's unheard of. We also have Brandon Slater of Villanova on the list. Julian Strother of Gonzaga, as well as Christian Coloco from Arizona. Uh, Steve, I want to go to you first because I know that you're a big fan of Brandon Slater and, and what he kind of typifies for this, uh, this Villanova program. Yeah, I think, you know, we were talking off air and when you look at Brandon Slater, I think that defines what Villanova's program and what their culture and, yes. and what Jay has been able to build. You look at, just go back and look at his numbers. He averaged less than a point a game as a freshman. Four years later, He's on a team that's going to contend for a Big East championship. He's averaging 14 points a game, shooting 60 from the field, 46 from three, 91 from the free throw line. And, and I know that it's a sample size is early, seven games, but Randolph knows this. When you talk about NBA, you're talking about 50 from the field, 40 from three, 90 from the line. And that's just a credit to a Jay Wright. It's a credit right. to his staff. It's a credit to Brandon, the people around him. He's, he's, I don't know him at all, but I, you got to think, man, he's about the right things. He's about the program. And now he's getting his reward for staying the course. He averaged three points a game last year. And now he's averaging 14 on a really good Villanova team that they need Samuel to be great. They need more to be great. They've got Gillespie. But if Slater continues like this, then he's got a chance to do some really special things going forward, not just at Villanova. Yeah, it's not just the scoring either. He's also probably the best defender on that team and one of the best defenders in the big. I mean, he's six seven with those huge long arms and he's physically strong. He just the the way that guys develop as three and four year players in that Villanova program is something really special. He's also for him to stay for him to stay there and wait is amazing. Like like yeah, think about it. Yeah. What guys would stay there and wait for four years and not play for three years? He essentially did not play for three years and then stays. I mean, like you said, that's just a testament to Villanova's program. And to come from, a, you know, his high school team, he played with Jeremy Roach and, and Trevor Kills. You know, those were his high school teammates. He was the older guy with that group that led that group. I mean, he he's comes from a talented program. And 
he went right to another great program and paid his dues, knew he wasn't ready to play early. But but credit to him. I mean, it's just have a heck of a year. And like, and I, and like you said, I think he will have a chance to make some money because he's a six 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 seven athletic perimeter shooting guy that's willing to defend. And and when was the last time that a Villanova role player did not at least have some success in the NBA, right? Like they, they teach those guys basically what you need to do to be a role player in the NBA um, at Villanova. The guy that I wanted to highlight was uh, – <laughs> was Julian Strother at, um, at, at Gonzaga. He put up 20 the other night uh, in that win again, or the, the loss against Duke. Uh, he's really shooting it from three. The thing that's really impressive to me is he's another guy that kind of, to me, he typifies what this, this Gonzaga program is all about because he was a high four-star kind of a player coming in and right. didn't really do anything as a freshman. I don't have the numbers up in front of me, but it was his stats were basically not Seven minutes a game. Seven, seven minutes yeah. a game. Yeah, he averaged three, three points a, a game points. as a freshman. Yeah, three points yeah. as a yeah. freshman. Yeah, and now he's averaging 15 a game this year, shooting 47% from three. That's probably going to come down eventually as small sample sizes kind of get a little bit bigger. But he's he's established himself as one of the most important, if not the most important perimeter player on that, that Gonzaga program. And he sat and, again, waited his turn as well. And I think you kind of – someone mentioned this the other day on, on uh, when our after dark, after the Duke-Gonzaga game. And they said, is this kind of like the peak? For what Gonzaga can be are they going to be able to get back here again and I think they will for the Absolutely. simple reason that if you look at who's on their bench right now doing what Julian Strouder did last year Nolan Hickman five-star recruit Hunter right. Salas I believe wasn't he like a top 10 McDonald's All-American guy yes yes those are the guys yeah. that are paying their dues at Gonzaga right now and I, I don't think they're going to end up transferring you go to Gonzaga because you know what you're in for Right. That's and that's the that's the right thing. I mean, a lot of freshmen. We talked about Brandon Slater early. A lot of freshmen want to go to these programs and they want to win. Ninety uh, percent of these guys aren't ready to help you win right away. At the level that these programs are are playing at, you know, Brandon Slater's not ready to go into Villanova as a tr- as a true freshman and help them win right away. As Hollis and Silas and these guys, they're not the They're not ready to help Gonzaga as a true freshman. But as you wait, that jump we talked about, you take a significant jump that freshman to sophomore year, and that's what we're, we're, we're seeing right now. He's taking a big jump, and you're seeing it from three to 14 points a game. Yeah, and, and yeah, for the record, right now, as we're recording this, Gonzaga is only up 41-39 on, uh, on Tarleton State. So hopefully we don't look dumb by, uh, by <laughs> not talking about this game. If, they if, you, if, if you take anything away from Brandon Slater and, and say, Strother, it's man, run your own race. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. run your own race. Have a great foundation of what you're about, and then run your own race. Because just because you're not freshman of the year, just because you're not a one and done, doesn't mean you're not going to be a 10, 12 year pro. Run your own race. And if you, you know, I, I talk about Monte Morris all the time. You know, what, you know, I coached him, four year guy, year in the G League, but he was ready for his opportunity. Now he's a starting point guard for the Denver Nuggets and just signed a new contract. You know, I think that stuff is, is huge, man. Don't compare yourselves to others and what other people have done. And, and speaking of running your own race, I think another guy that really fits well in that conversation is Wendell Moore. Because here, here's a kid. I didn't realize this until someone mentioned it to me. He's a junior at Duke right now. He's never played in the NCAA tournament before. I don't know how many juniors at Duke have never played in the NCAA tournament. You probably have to go back to before Coach K got there. And I know it's kind of a, a different situation, but he put in, put in his time, he put in the work, he put in his dues, and he's reaping the benefits of it right now. I mean, if we if you put together an all-American team at this point of the season, I don't think that you can leave off Wendell Moore as a first or second team all-American somewhere on there. He's got to be. With the numbers that he's putting up for a team that's number one in the country, did you – here's another kid right here, Randolph. You coached in the ACC against him for a couple of years. Did you see something like this coming out of him? No. I, you know what? Coming in, you didn't know what to expect. But to see what he's doing now, his role now for that team, he's as important. He is the glue guy for that team because he, you notice, we talked about this earlier, you know, after one of the shows was they moved Jeremy Roach off the ball. They'll put the ball in his hands. He'll run the point. He's taking the defensive mindset of put me on the best perimeter guy on the other team. On top of his scoring, defensively is where he's leading this team. And he's doing a heck of a job with that. He, he's unstoppable from a guard, a re- offensive rebounding from a guard. He is flat out doing it all, and he is gonna get open shots to, to consistently make his three. All he needs to do is keep it in the, in the 30s, and then yeah. he'll be fine. And he's he, and he's taking that step, and he's gonna get those looks because the, the the attention that 
that Pancaro, you know, Paulo's going to get, you know, he's going to get that. And then Trevor, those guys are going to draw so much attention. He's going to get open threes and he's making them right now, but he's doing, he's affecting the game in so many ways. I think he's the key to Duke, Duke's team this year. Yeah. You again, he's another guy, man, seven points, 10 points, 18 points, man, you know, stay the course. And like I said, six assists, six rebounds, you know, making plays for them. And obviously Duke, he's got to be on an all American team. If you're, if you're averaging those numbers for the number one team in the country, first team, second team, third yeah. team, you got to throw them one of those teams. He broke my heart when he went to Duke. I, I got to admit that though. We, we were right there with him. And then he, he was actually on his official visit at Duke. He sends me a text wishing me a happy birthday. I'm like, I'm like, Oh man, I never had a kid wishing me a happy birthday while he's on an official visit. And then he commits to Duke right after. It's just like, man. Straighten <laughs> you up, man. He was. Uh, uh, it, it, it crushed me. A great kid. His 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 mom still calls my wife, and they talk quite a bit. I mean, I'm so happy for that young man. I mean, because it, he's another one of those. You know, you talk about an Olympian. I mean, a kid that played the USA basketball and just and just was a. You know, he he a lot was expected of him, and he didn't have success early. And then now you stick to you know he didn't transfer like a lot of people suggest. A lot of people run away. He's another one of these kids that is sticking to the plan. And, and he's being rewarded for it. How, how hard is that for these kids to deal with, right? Like there's a certain expectation Absolutely. if you're a, a top 20, top 25. If you're at a certain level coming out of high school, you are expected to go one and done, right? right. If you don't go one and done, are you already like, are you already a bust? Are you going back to your hometown and people are like, ah, man, he's not any good. He's going to spend three years in college. Because I don't think that that's true. I mean, he's going to, if you look at what he's doing right now, he's going to go make a whole bunch of money playing, whether it's in the NBA overseas, wherever it is. Right. So how how hard is that for these kids to deal with? I mean, you guys have experienced that probably more than anyone else has has seen. Like what 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 do they go through if you're expected to be that guy that is the one and done and you don't quote unquote make it that quick? Well, I've seen kids it ruin kids. I mean, I always I try to tell our guys, don't rush to get there. You just want to be ready to stay there when you get there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the biggest thing I would tell guys because you, 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 sometimes guys will put up numbers and then they'll be like, all right, I averaged 10 points or I averaged 12 points and then I'm gone. And it just doesn't work out. It just doesn't work out that way. And then you see guys, you know, like you just mentioned about Monte, four-year guy, went to the G League one year. Guys were frowned on that. Now it's like, hey, go to the G League, figure out how we play and then look at it in one year and he just get resigned. It happens all the time. I mean, I, I go to John Collins and we got John Collins at, at Wake. I mean, John comes in. He was the lowest rated recruit in that class with Darrell Moore, who was on the USA teams and Brian Crawford. And then he's the guy that comes in. And then now he's, you know, $125 million later with the Atlanta Hawks, you know, but Again, he he was, but but he got the job done. Obviously, at Wake, he was a you know most efficient kid in college basketball that year. But some guys are just in a rush to get there, where the other two guys went early, and it just didn't work out for them. Yeah, I just think you got to make long term decisions because when you go, you got to be ready because there's you can't yes. go back, and and then you got one shot at it. And so, how can you sustain, you know, at that, that level for as long as you can? And so, I just think you've got to be ready. Uh, for the rigors that the professional ranks is going to throw at you because it's coming at you in a lot of different different ways and the different angles. And uh, I think Randolph hit on it. You just got to be ready. And so you've got to make long-term decisions, not short-term decisions. Yeah, and I actually think this is where the NIL stuff is going to – coming in is going to actually be really good, not just for the sport but for the kids involved because it's not – it's going to make it so it's not strictly a financial decision for people leaving, Right. If right. you need to make sure to, that you're getting a little bit of money so you can help out mom and dad back home, or you can make sure that the, the whatever the electricity bill gets paid, um, you're going to be able to do that at, at most of these programs for kids that are at that level. So it's not, it's not strictly going to be a financial decision anymore. Now it's going to be like, is this the right time for me to go? Because I'm still going to be able to make a little bit of money when I come back to college. So I think not only is it the right thing to do, right, but I do think it's going to be one good for the sport because it keeps kids around for longer. And two, it's going to be good for some of those kids that are going to maybe make a decision that allows them to stay in school before they have to go off to the draft that quickly. All right, um, let's let's move on. I want to talk about Illinois and, and Notre Dame, specifically Illinois, because it, it feels like they might have turned a corner a little bit in these last couple of games. Obviously, they weren't their best at the start of the season. when uh, They weren't their best when Kofi got back. They've had a bunch of injuries. They had the suspensions. Andre Corbello's been out of the lineup. They got smoked by Cincinnati. Um, so what is – Steve, I, I, I'm going to go to you first on this one. What, 
how difficult is it when you're trying to manage and build a team this early in the season when you are when you are missing some guys at this point in the year specifically? Well, number one, they lost Io. And when you lose a guy like that, I think everybody's roles are changing. And we talked about this off air a little bit. You know, Kofi's out for the first three games, you know, for for the, you know, for the, you know, whatever the discipline, you know, from that standpoint, NCAA wise. But everybody on the Illinois team now has a different role. They've had some injuries, you know, uh, but Curbelo, his role is different this year. You know, Frazier's role is different. Kofi is a is a, is his role is different. The scouting report's different on all these guys. But the one thing you saw tonight, you know, in this game and the challenge against Notre Dame is Brad's team's got some toughness yep. and they got some character to them. Yep. Frazier came back. Everybody thought he was really hurt. He came back. Obviously, Cabello couldn't play tonight. Kofi responded. Uh, DeMonte Williams, you know, him and Frazier over, you know, double-figure assists combined. They're over two-to-one assists to turnover ratio. Last time I checked tonight. And so they've got some toughness. This will be good for them in the long haul. You know, the problem right now is with so many guys in and out of the lineup and so many new roles trying to be formed, they're not going to be perfect right now. Uh, And at the end of the day, they lost a neutral site game to Cincinnati and a one point game at Marquette. They'll be able to get those guys. They'll they'll be able to get those wins back, you know, as they get into conference play. Randolph, are you how how worried are you about them, or is this something where at this point they're kind of like like I said, it feels like they've turned a corner a little bit. I'm not worried about them because what you saw tonight was identity, right? You talk about two different teams. So much has changed. We were worried about what this team's going to look like without their starting point guard. We were kind of worried about it, and then we look at a Notre Dame team that has essentially everyone returning, right? We're expecting them to take another step, and tonight. You know, the tougher team just won. Let's just call it what it was. I mean, they would just they just flat out were just tougher. You know, you know, Kofi was a beast inside. They had no answer for him. I'm impressed with him. And I said this last year, watching them last year, they'll actually switch with him. And they'll switch on guard. I'm not saying he's a great on-ball defender, but he's a willing defender and will switch on guards when they need him to. And that's for a guy his size. You know, a lot of people don't ask big guys that size to to switch and guard perimeter guys the way Illinois does. But it's a mentality of that team, and it's a toughness. And, and you just see it, Nick. It's a culture, and that's just what, what you know, showed tonight. They were a the tougher team. And, they, you know, uh, Notre Dame made some shots, but I don't think it was ever in doubt. I, I don't. I think he's actually pretty good in ball screen coverage. They, no, they he mostly is. play drop, right, which basically means Kofi just stand about eight feet in front of the rim and just be really big and take up space and try to guard two until your guard can get back, more or less. And I mean, he's pretty good at that. He's not bad at it. And that's what they do at the NBA more often than um, anything else. My biggest concern for him as a pro at the next level is the fact that uh, he one is he's not a guy that's, I know he made a jumper today, but he's not a guy that's going to stretch the floor. And two, he's just, he he hasn't figured out how to make the passing reads yet. I think he only started really playing basketball like four or five years ago. I'm pretty sure. Right. Like he was a soccer player for a while. He really started taking it seriously um, later in his career than, than, uh, than most guys do. And you just kind of see him like he doesn't process stuff as quickly right. as someone that's been playing since they were five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. And uh, to me, that's the biggest thing. And I saw a couple things today that really actually kind of made me feel good about it. Like he, he had a couple passes out of the post that I thought were, I mean, that's going to end up being the difference for this team, right? Because, you know, I mean, look at what he did against Notre Dame. He had 28. It felt like he could have gotten 50 if they gave him the ball. Right. Every single time the two nights ago, he had 38 against Rio Grande Valley. Again, they gave him the ball every possession. He probably could have gotten 50 defenses are going to collapse. He's got to be able to take that ball. And if there's four guys around him, flip it out to someone for an open three. And they got the shooters, right? Steve, they got shooters on the team. Yeah, well, Illinois, that's what I was going to say too, is, is obviously Illinois made shots tonight. They made threes and they got guys that can make threes. But when you have a guy that commands so much attention, like Kofi does, uh, the better he can, can become you know, passing it out of the post or like, you know, you were talking about Virginia posting uh, Kyrie Clark, you know, even even guards posting and, and, and having the guards pass out because sometimes they're your best passers. You know, Illinois, the more they can spread you out and the more you've got to, you know, show attention to Kofi, you know, the better the three is going to look for guys like Plummer and Grandison and, and Demonte Williams, Frazier, Corbello, you know, and uh, – like I said, they'll just continue to get better and better under Brad because of their toughness and their identity on the defensive end. Passing bigs are so dangerous, though. I mean, passing bigs give you so much trouble. 
you watched him tonight. We're talking about him playing in the post, but when he gets on the perimeter, he can dribble handoff. Coach, you know, there's having bigs that can just dribble handoff and force you because now he's going to force you to come up and guard him on the perimeter because if you don't, then the guard's going to turn the corner and get downhill. So now he's able to dribble on the the perimeter, drill handoff, pass, set screens. He's playing on the perimeter, even though he's he's really efficient inside. He's still, that's where his money's being made. You know, not literally, but he's making his money on the post. He's still making you play his game because he's dribble handing off the perimeter. He's a really good passer on the perimeter as well. So he's going to force you to come out to guard him even when he's playing on the perimeter. Right. I, I think that this team really takes the next step if Corbello comes back and he's actually effective as kind of a guy that, that's able to score on ball screens. I, I thought their offense the last couple of games have looked, has looked better with Trent Frazier because he keeps defenses honest when he's coming off those ball screens. What they were doing when, when Corbello was out there was they were basically just letting him go and daring him to make a decision and make a play and just saying, you're not going to get the ball back to Kofi. We're going to make you beat us. And he just, I mean, he was horrible against Marquette and he really was not very good against Cincinnati. At what point do you guys think that it was that just something where it was taking him a little while to get going? Maybe that's lingering effects of the concussion. Is that uh, what it's like? coming onto a team where you used to be the third option with, with, with IO and Adam Miller out there, as opposed to um, now being the first option, Steve, what do you think it is with him? Yeah, I, I think it's just, you just got to be patient with him, you know, just at the point guard position, it's the toughest position on the floor. It's the most demanding. Uh, it's the one that's got to be great because the ball's in your hand and you're expected to make decisions, but Curbelo's role has changed more than anybody's. You know, Io was out there and he played on the ball and off the ball because Io liked to score and made big shots for them, you know, but Curbelo's in a whole different role, you know, to where he's asked to run the team and, and make plays, you know, and score, pass, distribute. And so it's good for him. You know, you got to let him play through some mistakes. You got to let him continue to grow. And on the back end of this second half of the season, you know, uh, I think he'll, he'll be back to what people thought he was, but you know, that's why a lot of times, you know, with those guards, you like to play those guys together when they're young so they can get more experience. They can get accustomed to the game, get a better feel. And then what's your, when it's your turn, you know, you're able to take it and run with it. But, you know, losing I.O. and playing behind him, that's a different role. And he's just got to take time to get adjusted to it. All right. So uh, both those games that we talked about tonight were part of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And it felt like it was kind of the uh, – the opening act for the challenge tonight, the big 10 will both of the games, uh, but it really gets going tomorrow. Now, whoever made the decision to allow Duke to play a road game, Purdue to play a home game and have them as the number one and number two teams, not play each other in those games in Mackey is some like, we need to have a conversation with that person because they, they, they need to be, relieved of their duties as a, as, as a schedule. Um, well, you can go to, you can go to ESPN classic tomorrow. You watch the 94 regional final, man, big dog versus grand Hill. If, if you, if you need Duke Purdue, but you're right, man, that would have been, uh, that'd have been a lot of fun to watch, but there'll be two good games. But when you said that and mentioned that, I was like, man, that would have been a, been a great one there. Cause that's, I mean, that's all anyone's been talking about is a, who's the number one team. Who's the number two team and to have it, have it be right now. This week, when when we just had one of them get bumped up to number one in the country, would have been it would have been perfect. It, it would have been the biggest game since uh, since Friday, which would have been nice for college basketball. But we're not getting that. Instead, we're getting uh, Duke and visit Ohio State. So let's let's talk about these games on Wednesday. Um, I'm going to start with Duke at Ohio State right now. Randolph Duke is only laying two points according to our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. The total there is 147. How do you see this game playing out? How does Ohio State stop Paolo Bancaro? I don't know if they can, you know, I, I don't, I haven't seen anybody else be effective doing it. So, you know, one thing they got to do is make sure he's hydrated. So he had to start cramping. I don't know what's that about. Maybe, you know, hopefully, you know, he's, he's, it's, it's been Kentucky and Gonzaga. So maybe he just got so up for those games that, you know, he was working out or doing something, you know, how some guy like that would surprise me being in gym all night, all day at a game. Uh, I, I don't think they have an answer for him. And I think they're going to have bodies to throw at Lindell inside, you know, with Theo and with, uh, with Mark Williams inside. So I, Ohio State's going to have to get their, their, their guard play has to step up and be ready to play if this is going to be a game. 
Ohio State's just gonna hide the the Gatorade, right? <laughs> yeah, turn the heat up in the gym. Turn turn the heat up in the gym, and it, it is not, not having the Gatorade. How do you how do you see this playing out, Steve? Well, it's a great opportunity for Ohio State. The crowd's going to have to be a huge, huge factor. Ohio State's guards are going to have to step up and play well. And, and obviously, everybody knows how good EJ Liddell is, but this is another moment um, on a big, big stage where he could take a huge step, not just for Ohio State, for, but for him personally, you know, going forward when you look at the NBA down the road uh, from that standpoint. And then the freshman that they got, Malachi, um, you know, it's a great opportunity for him. But Duke is really good. It'll be Ohio State's going to have to be at their best. Uh, they played well down in Florida. They had a good win against Seton Hall. Florida had a Applebee jumper to beat them, you know, at the buzzer. Um, and so, uh, but obviously, if you're picking, you're probably going with Duke. Uh, but Ohio State will have to play their AA plus game to 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 get this down the last couple minutes. Yeah, the let's fact- see how those freshmen respond to this, though. This is a you know that Duke usually struggles sometimes in that first true road game. True, true road you know, game. That, that's a big thing, too. Yeah. That's a big thing, right? These guys hadn't experienced yep. that. Even some of the sophomores last year with COVID and the empty gyms, like, let's see how they're going to respond in that in that gym when it's loud and, you know, you can't hear yourselves and those freshmen respond. It'll be a big, big game to see how the, how the Dukies respond. But I do think they match up well with Ohio State. They just got bodies to grow at EJ that maybe other teams. They got, they got legitimately – 10, 10 fouls to throw at him if they need 15 fouls to throw at him without even, you know, having Paulo. You know, but the difference is going to be is that when they put him at the five and force him to go upon, you know, Ben Carroll, like then that's when I think the game is, 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 is a tough matchup for Ohio State. Yeah, I, I think Ohio State's going to have to control the tempo. You know, they want to play in the half court. They want to run their right. half court sets. They want to walk, walk it up. They they can't let this thing get up and down a little bit. And obviously, Chris does a great job of controlling tempo, executing the half court, and so they can get the ball to Key. They can get the ball to Liddell. Uh, you know, Aaron's got – those guards got to make threes when they got Michi and Aaron's when they got opportunities. Um, but like Randolph hit on, I think that's probably the biggest thing. This is the first true road game. And yeah. I think Fran McCaffrey touched on it. You know, this is the first true road game for not the freshmen, but like you said, those those older guys. Yeah. you know, after a year of COVID. Yeah, so I, I think that the key is going to end up being how well um, how well Ohio State can kind of pull Mark Williams away from the rim. And, you know, I thought that what was so impressive about Duke in the last game was the way that they just – all their athletes on the perimeter would just kind of funnel people to the basket. And, I mean, Mark Williams, he was just immense against Gonzaga. I mean, he's, he's so big and so long and feels like he's always in the position that he needs to be in on that end of the floor. And the one thing about uh, Ohio state is they have some big guys that can step away and make a shot. Obviously EJ Liddell's best probably playing about uh, 18 feet away from the basket, but like Kyle Young can make a three, two, you know, they have guys that can pull people away from the basket. And if you can um, take advantage of the fact that Duke really wants Mark Williams in front of the rim, protecting everything, as opposed to out there chasing around guys that can knock down a three. I I think that's what Ohio state's going to, they have to find a way to make Duke match up with them, I think, if that makes sense, as opposed to having to find a way to figure out how to deal with Mark Williams. I don't know if you could do that if you're Ohio State. I just – I think you got to find a way to take advantage of that. Um, I would still take Duke uh, minus two um, in that game. I'm not going to put right. you on the spot for uh, for making a bet, but I am going to make you pick a winner. <laughs> I'm going with the Duke. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll take Duke. I'd, I'll take Duke. It's just hard, especially you watch him the other night. You watch him against Kentucky. I know it's the first true road game, but I, I would – I think it will be a good game, but I'll yes. take Duke. Uh, all right. The, uh, the other top two team that is playing is going to be Purdue. They are hosting Florida State, who is an 11-point underdog. The total in that game, according to our partners at Bet Rivers, is 142.5 points. Uh, Steve, I'm going to you first on this one. How do you see this playing out? Is this, uh, is this Florida State team the kind of team that can match up with Purdue? Florida State's got size. As, uh, as Randolph so eloquently put it, they got footers. Yeah, you know, we were talking about that. Just, uh, you know, the one thing that when you look at Leonard's teams, you know, and you look at Florida State and Randolph knows this from being in that league, you know, for a long time. uh, Man, they are tough. They are physical. They're athletic. They get after you defensively and you've got to make plays. You just you're not kind of going to out execute Florida State. You've got to make plays against Florida State. Uh, Purdue, they want to get in the half court. They're going to execute. They're going to run their stuff. Uh, I think it's a good contrast, you know, of teams. 
The biggest thing is Mackey's going to be out of control. Um, you look at Edie, you look at Williams, you look at Sasha and those guys and Ivy, they are playing at a high, high level right now. Um, but Florida State, you know, this is kind of one of those gritty games for them right. where over the last couple of years, I think they've really – they've won games like this. And so I think it's going to be a great, great opportunity for them. Uh, you know, they had the tough loss to Florida, and I wouldn't say tough loss, but just, you know, a loss early to Florida, you know, but they responded down uh, the other day, beat Missouri pretty good uh, in the tournament down there in Florida. Uh, so it's contrast to styles for sure. Randolph, are you worried about Purdue being able to run offense against uh, against Florida? Like so much of what Purdue does comes out of the sets they run, come out, right. comes out of their actual offense as opposed to just having guys that can go out there and make a play. And, and I mean, we've all seen Florida State, they switch everything. Are you worried about Purdue finding ways to score? I don't think they're going to score the way they traditionally score. Florida State's not going to let you run your plays. I mean, that, that's they're not going to let you do that. They're going to they're going to guard. They're going to switch everything. Uh, they're going to have great length. You know, Purdue usually Purdue usually has a size advantage over people in depth. They're not going to have that this game. You know, like I said, Florida State is going to have it's going to be the biggest team that they play against. So that's saying something all year long. But they're going to throw bodies. I think the question that I have for Florida State is going to be they're going to have to shore up their rotation. I think they've kind of built this philosophy of playing pretty much the entire roster. Twelve or thirteen guys are getting in a half. You know, and, and, and that's their, that that's the thing that they've done. But because they play so hard defensively, they're basically saying, hey, play hard to the next TV timeout and we're getting you out. And they're playing that way. But they are able to break you down. You know, Jay Ivey's going to have to play a hell of a game, you know, because and attack those switches and get them in rotation. But they're not going to let them run their sets. That's just not something Florida State allows you to do. So give me a pick. Is, uh, is Florida State going to be, be the team that upsets Purdue this year or no? Steve, I'm going to you first. If I'm making a pick, I'm going to take Purdue, but I think Florida State's going to be right in there. I mean, I think it's going to be a really good game. I just think the defensive end for Florida State, like Randolph touched on, and he knows them well, I just think that could cause problems. Obviously, Purdue, when you look at Ivy and Williams and 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 Williams, excuse me, Ivy and Zach Eady, those guys, and Sasha making shots, they've got some offensive firepower, but they're going to have to make play after play after play against Florida State. So I think it's a lot more competitive game than people think, but I think Purdue probably sneaks out of there at the end. Randolph? I, I'm conflicted with this. If, if <laughs> I know I can't say it. I'm, I'm going to go with Purdue, but I, I think if Florida State sure is up their bench, I think they can go in and get the upset because they're not going to let Purdue run their sense. So, I'm, you know what? I'm going to flip it. I'm going to go Florida State. Florida State. Oh! And I'm going to pick an upset. Florida State. Florida State's going to go <laughs> Purdue and get the win. I'm going to pick it. All I'm right, going to stick to that. Um, all right, next up we have uh, Indiana is heading up to the Carrier Dome to take on Syracuse. That line is Indiana minus point and a half. Uh, Randolph, what do you like there? I think Syracuse is just bad. <laughs> I, 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 I just don't think they're very good. I, 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 I don't know. They're at home. I get it. Uh, the zone is tough to play against. Um, they're going to force you to shoot it, but I don't think they're going to have a hands for Trace Davis. Um, I, I think he's going to have a monster game. I don't think they have enough bodies that, to guard him. So I, I think Indiana's going to get this one. Uh, I'm just, I, I'm just not impressed with Syracuse right now. I think they, they they have been shooting the ball well. If Indiana's going to guard Xavier Johnson, those guys does he he gets out. He's familiar with the zone coming from Pittsburgh, so I think he's he knows a lot, has some insight on it. I think Indiana's going to get it. Steve, you with him? Yeah, I'm going to take Indiana. You know, obviously, first true road game. They beat St. John's at home. That was their first true, true test. This is their second biggest test of the year on the road. But, you know, uh, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, you know, I think, you know, you put him maybe in the middle of the zone, attack the zone. Uh, he touched on Xavier Johnson. I, I like Indiana going in there and winning. Yeah, I think Indiana can get this one as well. Um the one thing that always does concern me with, with games like this is that uh, Syracuse is one of these teams where they can go out and legitimately hit like 22 three-pointers in the game if they get it going right. They're probably not going to get all that many stops um, just because of the uh, – they, they rely on like their length in the zone, and there's just no length or athleticism in this zone the way that you would normally expect it to be uh, with the Syracuse team when they're playing two Bayheims and Joe Girard. Um 
but they can they they can legitimately go out there and hit like 22 threes. <laughs> so you just never you never really know. So uh, I, I think Indiana probably gets it done. I don't think a point and a half is enough no. um, this game, but uh, but yeah, I, I I like the Hoosiers in that spot. Next up. Randolph, I want to go to your uh, your your Wake Forest Demon Deacons, who have actually looked pretty good so far this year. They struggle a little bit with the athleticism of LSU, but right. they are hosting Northwestern. They are only laying two points. The total there is one forty four, according to Bet Rivers. Uh, talk to me a little bit about Wake Forest. What what have you seen out of them that you liked? What have you seen out of them that you don't like? And just how good is this team? I I don't think I don't think I know how good they are right now. Um, you know, it's disappointing. I think they're disappointed in the effort against LSU. LSU was their first big test. You know, they got out early against uh, Oregon State and had a 20-plus lead in the first half. And then that game, they ended up pulling it out at the end in overtime. So the last game and a half of basketball hasn't been great. Uh, I, I, I don't know if they're steady point guard. They, they don't have consistent point guard play. They're turning the ball over at an alarming rate and it's hurting them. So I'm concerned, you know, concerned about that. You know, last year, you know, we, you, know you brought in, you got, you got your different guard play. And I, I don't know, I mean, they, from, from Williams to Davion Williamson, one of these guys is going to have to be your primary ball handler right now. And so we'll see how it goes. I, I'm cheering for them, obviously. I'm a homer. Um, they got a tough one. You know, they're going to have a tough game. But we don't know what Notre no Dame is. I don't know if we know what either one of these teams are right now. Because their biggest test that we watched them play, they, they, they lost both of the tests. So I'll, I'll learn a lot about this team when I watch them tomorrow. Steve, what do you think of Northwestern? Do they have a chance to go in and uh, pick up a road win for the Big Ten here? Yeah, I think this will be a competitive game, uh, yeah. I think, start to finish. I think this will be, you know, one of the games that I think is going to come down to last media timeout. Northwestern split in New York, beat Georgia, uh, kind of rallied at the end against Providence and made it close. Um but I think going into Wake, I think it'll be a competitive game both ways. Randolph touched on the, the Florida tournament for Wake Forest and the LSU game. Uh, but I think this one will you, – you could toss this one up uh, between, between these two. All right. Then we have uh, the next game that I want to talk about. You guys got to be careful what you say here. I know my, uh, my podcast partner, Terrence Oglesby, uh, former Clemson star, is watching right now. <laughs> He's going to be texting us on the phone. He'll text us in a second. Yeah, he's gonna, he, I guarantee he's gonna, we're going to get a text right now. Shout out to PJ Hall, by the way. He's been he's been good in this season, T.O. There you go. Man, really got, good. PJ, got your PJ Hall mentioned in there. Um, Clemson going on the road. I'll tell you what, he's a good player, man. He's good. PJ Hall? Well, T.O. was going to love that you just said that because he's been blowing me up. And um, Well, he's the one kind of big, like, you know, we touched on earlier, Randolph's. I mean, he, he they, they duck him in a lot in transition. They play off that middle ball screen and post him up. But also, he can play in the high post. You know, middle ball screen, pick and pop. He can stretch you. Um, and, and defense travels. And Brad's known for being a yes. tough-minded, hardcore, we're going to guard you. Um, and so I think this game, similar to Northwestern Wake, could go either way. I'm just glad that P.J. Hall survived Jalen Johnson's dunk last year. I didn't think he was going to. I thought we were going to have to – Pouring out for him, but he he survived. He's still here. He's averaging 14 points a game. So good for you, PJ Hall. Um, Rutgers is one of those teams that that has just been kind of, you know, I thought they were going to be really good this year. You got Ron Harper Jr. back. They got all these guys back, and it just it hasn't worked yet. They, they've taken a couple losses they probably shouldn't have taken so far this season. So uh, I like Clemson going on the road and, and picking off this upset. I just can't imagine. The rack is a tough place to play uh, when it's full. I just don't see the, the, the two days after Thanksgiving, the rack being full for a Clemson basketball game. So uh, I like the Tigers pulling off the upset. Shout out to Terrence Oglesby. Last one that we have, we got about a minute left before we got to end the show, is Minnesota going on the road. Minnesota's 5-0, and by the way. Shout out to Ben Johnson uh, to take on Pitt. Yep. Minnesota is only – they're only a two-and-a-half-point favorite against the Pitt team that has been uh, not, not great this year. Not not great at all. So Randolph, what do you uh, what do you see out of this game? Is give me how about this? Give me a reason to watch Minnesota at Pitt because I I can't think of one right now. Ah, uh, your internet went out. Your your cable providers out, your, <laughs> and, and that's the only game you could get. I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I it's going to be tough. Pitt is Pitt has been struggling. Uh, it's 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 looking like it's going to be a tough year for those guys. I believe in the, in the cable. And Jeff and I think he has uh, his 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 he's go, they're gonna they're gonna compete right whether they have enough to score 
to, to beat Minnesota. I don't know, but they, they, that team has lost more than any team I think in college basketball over the last year. Steve, what do you like? You know, I, th I think this one will be close. Uh, obviously, Ben's done a terrific job to start the season. I think winning those two games in the tournament in Asheville were, were big for them. But obviously, pulling for Jeff, um, I think he's just got to he's got to stay the course, man. Right. And just continue to fight through this year and continue to, you know, bring reinforcements in there and continue to, you know, look 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 far ahead, you know, and look ahead and not just. Um, but I think this game could go either way. You know, the game that I'm really is Wednesday's game. And, you know, you'll probably talk about it tomorrow night, but Louisville, Michigan State, obviously Chris Mack coming back. But, you know, I, I think you got to give a good shout out to Mike up there at Louisville to where, you know, they lose to Furman early. He takes the team down to the Bahamas and they rally and they have two really good wins down there. Uh, they beat Mississippi State, who's very talented. They beat Maryland. Um, in the Furman game, they had great opportunities. They just couldn't finish it. Right. Uh, but for those six games, for them to go five and one and get two high major wins, I think they got to be really pleased. And and now they have their 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 leader back. Yeah, and don't forget the other one, the Michigan and Carolina game too tomorrow. That's going to be big time as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't 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 hate on that. The uh, it's a re you talk about rematches. That's a rematch of the. Yeah, I'm surprised there hadn't been a lot of talk about the '93 Final Four national championship game with Howard going to Chapel Hill, you know, on TV and different things. Or maybe I've just missed it. it, it no, but, it'll start tomorrow. They just gonna yeah. get through these first couple of games. But you best believe by tomorrow when they get yeah. through the ACC Big Ten Challenge tomorrow. Hey, Steve, we just had. We had Alabama play an overtime game. We had Ohio State and Michigan playing for the uh, the Big Ten title, right? We had oh, Oklahoma's man. coach up and leave in the middle of the night for USC. And then we had Notre Dame's coach up and leave in the middle of the afternoon for LSU. When have we been able to talk about it? He left right in the middle of the Washington football team versus Seattle, Brian Kelly. Up <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, yeah, that's what it was, the Washington football team. Listen, guys, I appreciate the time. This has been fun. This has been the Field of 68 After Dark. Tune in tomorrow. We will have Sean Miller and Archie Miller with the one and only John Fanta. For Steve Prohm, for Randolph Childress, for producer Dagan, who has to tolerate all of us uh, behind right. the scenes. I'm Rob Doster. Thanks for being here with us. <laughs>